0: So, with that being said, news in the news. So this week, so far, I was looking at the Hacker News and saw um, a load of ransomware um, popping off everywhere, and I'm not really sure, you know, if anybody's followed that or not. But uh, there seems to be a lot of old ransomware popping up, as well as some new stuff and a lot of Android stuff. It's funny because we did a video on Android malware and APKs like I think it was like almost a month ago. And now, like, really, like, people are starting to really throw Android malware out there, which is kind of scary because most people use Android now because they've left iPhone. Um, Other than that, I don't have a whole lot on this side besides, you know, thanks for everybody's support and building this back up. So, Chi, why don't you introduce yourself and and tell us where you're from and kind of your history and, and how we met, and we'll go from there.
1: Wow. Okay, so how far back do I go? Uh, As far uh, as you want, buddy. (laughs) So, yeah, Uh, my name's uh, Chi. Um, I'm a lecturer at the University of uh, Westminster, Uh, currently teaching on the network uh, security course for undergraduate and also on the master's degree for computer forensics. Yeah. Um, So, you know, how I got to uh, meet Mike uh, was that there was an event uh, on at the university, it was Hackers on Tour, I think that's the first time uh, I met you. And um, after that, uh, it was uh, at a DEF CON meeting uh, in the basement uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, where we shared a drink. And yeah, the rest is history.
0: Yes, yeah, fantastic. Well, we're glad to have you on. Um, so tell me how you got involved with cybersecurity and kind of your journey, you know, where it started. You know, were you interested in this as a kid or you know, computers or how did it all start for you?
1: Yeah, so first started off with gaming. Uh, my first computer was a Commodore 64. Uh, started programming BASIC from there. Uh, yeah. uh, and then it was like Commodore 128 and then Amiga. So I, I was in a, uh, the Commodore camp uh, whilst the others were in Spectrum and uh, Atari. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know, I went to study computer science uh, in uni. And that's why I discovered um, security. You know, I I realized, so um, we'll be programming late through the night, you know, me and my classmates. And I realized, hey, I can look into the terminal from where I am, right? And then, you know, because I knew what they were running uh, and then it was like, almost like the night before, uh, you know, the course our deadlines. And so we wind each other up, you know, we'll go around killing their processes uh and watching them go absolutely nuts uh so that you know it's a bit of mischief uh there uh didn't do anything too bad (laughs) um yeah and and just realized wow you know we can just remotely log into a device kill processes uh move their windows around you know uh and you know that's how it first started and then um suddenly realized oh mail server wonder what we can do from there and then found out about there's some TP protocol, and then you can that you could totally fabricate an email, you know, and not uh, leave an address. So that's how it start, started off. Um, after I graduated, uh, continued, you know, learning and finding out things. Um, you know, sometimes I'd be sitting in Borders, you know, reading the 2600 magazine, and and that's how it all went from there.
0: Yeah. So I was talking to people from Westminster and and the commonality between everybody I've spoken with is that you're like the most interesting, the most on-point lecturer at Westminster. And I have to agree, like just talking to you at the couple of meetings we had and, and going to the alumni meeting, like, you know, I, I can see your passion for it. And, you know, I know how you run your, your, your class and, and, you know, it's just really amazing. Kristen, what, what do you have for me? As a matter of fact, Kristen, why don't you introduce yourself? Cause nobody knows you yet. So go ahead and put that out there and, and talk to Chi.
2: So I'm Kristen. I'm kind of the baby InfoSec person of the group. I'm pretty new to IT. I actually was a professional skydiving instructor for under a decade and then decided to make a career change. And here I am. So I'm kind of just here to learn from everybody.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Kristen. Um, So one thing that, that I like to focus on during this podcast is, you know, advice to young people, right? Because we have a ton of, of, new people that have not gotten really deep into cybersecurity and, and not really, um, you know, got their feet wet. So I know you, you work with a lot of students. And, and so what is your, what's your advice to students coming into cybersecurity?
1: So uh, mine would be to uh, set up your own lab at home. Um, you know, now, now it's actually very easy. When I first did it, we, we didn't have virtual machines. <laughs> to physically get a hold of several computers and uh, my whole bedroom is like a lab uh, and at the time it was like caused a few issues <laughs> there, <laughs> there were more computers in my room than there were in the home uh, than there were people in the home uh, and that's the best way to learn and um, you know when you're doing it on your own network it's, it's very safe you're not going to get into any uh, form of trouble um, and yeah you know, that, um, now you have virtual machines. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can do it really easily. You can you know, just uh, run several of them together uh, and you could, uh, and that's the quickest way to learn.
0: Yeah. And I've, I've seen the, the lab at, at Westminster university. And it's pretty, uh, pretty massive. Um, And then talk to Iman and, and talking about how they run their, their lab and, and, you know, different stuff like that. It's pretty interesting. Uh, I was really impressed when I went to uh, Westminster university for, the talk. And then I eventually, I eventually lived like, I think two blocks away from there over, uh, over close to Oxford circus. Um, but I was always making trips over there. You know, i got a lot of friends there. You know, it's just, it's a great place to be uh, met a lot of really cool people. So the night that I went to Westminster for the uh, inside the mind of a hacker, I actually met, that's where I met um, the London met police for the first time. So Westminster holds like a special place for me because that's kind of where everything spun off from. It got really big uh, and we stayed in touch and and i've always respected you know your, your teaching style and stuff um so what are you working on now what what are you working with the students on as far as like you know your, your class
1: yeah so um one, one of the things is that in addition to uh technical skills is like uh communication as well uh and also um things like entrepreneurialism mm-hmm. um bringing you know, because we have the students are building up lots of skills uh, along the way um, and there, there's so many different areas they can go into uh, things like the kind of like penetration testing side vulnerability assessments uh, some to do with uh, more management uh, or, or or kind of like security analyst uh, and so it's an option and we're building up a network uh, at the university community whereby Everyone supports one another to create something, and um, is how can they bring what they know, and, uh, what they've learned, to the community? And so, there's uh, at the moment I'm uh, doing, focusing a lot on the community building, uh, and the, you know that's how I invited you uh, to the talk. You know, yeah. um, so we have some former students uh, here on the uh, on the call, uh, whereby we invite you know, former graduates uh, back to kind of like um, share what they're learning, uh, what they're developing in, in their organizations and how they're bringing it out uh, to the world, but also uh, supporting one another's growth in the industry. Yeah, so it, it gives people a chance to you know kind of see, all oh, right, um, this is someone who's not just that plucked out from the industry, this is someone who's actually developed from the courses uh, that, that we've run. Uh, and they've, they've made something for themselves. Uh, and um, uh, a lot of people are looking for guidance, you know, on how to develop, uh, where to, what, what step to take next. And so that, that's what I've been focusing on uh, these last few years.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important because especially like now, right in the industry, um, we talked about this last podcast. There seems to be a lot of openings for people with experience, but not a whole lot for people coming out of uni. Um, and that, that, to me is bothersome because that tells me that people are not promoting from within they're hiring people for those positions and the people who are, you know, newcomers, they're not giving them a chance to move up. Um, so that's kind of why we put this community together is to kind of share information and, you know, it, it may not be able to go onto a resume as experience, but, you know, at least they'll learn something and can walk into an interview with, with some sort of knowledge of how exploits work or, or different techniques of defending against different exploits, Um, so that, I mean, that's one thing that I learned with doing talks for the university in in the London police is that that's my way of giving back. Um, and those are two people I don't charge for speaking engagements is law enforcement and academia, because I think it's really important to pass it on to both of them. Um, so Kristen, you're in school, right? You're taking classes, taking certifications. So what, what's your experience so far with, you know, the way things are going with, with academia?
2: Uh, in terms of what do you mean, I guess.
0: Just your experience, you know, what it's like for you and, and you know, maybe some questions for Chi as far as a future and you know, projected path or whatever.
2: Man, there's a lot of ways to go with this. Uh, it's been interesting. I've found IT to be a difficult field to break into even for entry-level roles. Like When I was in Alabama, even for like basic help desk, Or even internships. I offered to work for free at a few places and they were like, no, you don't have any experience. Come back when you do. I'm like, well, okay. (laughs) Um, I see a lot uh, in the news about the cybersecurity skills gap or the cybersecurity shortage. Mm -hmm. And I guess my question for you guys is, do you guys think that that's a thing? And if so, how can we fix it or how can we better prepare students to enter the field? What should we be doing?
0: Let Chi take that.
1: (laughs) Um, You know, on on our course, we we give them the the, the choice, right? Um, From from our courses, some people have gone into penetration testing, some have gone into uh, to become security analysts. And, um, you know, I, I know all those students really well. You know, I, I, I take, I have them for at least two years, and I find out what what do they want to, um, where do they want to take it. You know, so they have a natural curiosity for security, you know, seeing how things work, and my job is to, you know, kind of like help nurture it, um, and, and then take it in a direction that they want to take it, not not where I think they should be going, is. Um, you know, if they have an ambition to go into penetration testing, i like, okay. So you know, these are the kind of things you look into uh, these certifications, these kind of uh, tools. Uh, if they're more into security uh, uh, analysts, and I say, right, okay, so I start researching into this, developing that, uh, and start going to vulnerability assessments in- instead, uh, and look at uh, uh, some of the ISO 27000 stuff. Uh, and and so it's depending on what they want. Um, yeah so so my my job isn't to tell them that to go here or that sure. it's, it's let them uh take charge of the, their own destiny as such yeah. Brian,
0: hey. go ahead Brian. Hey. go ahead
3: hey um, so with like how fast technology moves how does the university curriculum stay up to date with what's happening like two years is a pretty solid investment and i'm noticing a swing towards certifications rather than degrees like,
1: how does Westminster keep up uh, with the
3: emerging technologies?
1: Yeah, um, so we update our courses every uh, about three years. We go through validation uh, with the computer, uh, British Computer Society and also with IET as well. Uh, and so every time we refresh the course, we look at what's the landscape. Um, you know, there are some fundamental things uh, which are going to be always the same in security, things like protocols, how do they work, file systems. Uh, what they like and and so whenever I set an assignment, I look at what is the landscape or uh, at this current time um, so so just recently I set a an assignment which was on remote working how do you secure remote working? what are the challenges to organizations uh, and you know the last year it was uh, cloud security and then year before it was remote access trojans uh, and and so I tailored the assignments to really current um challenges. Yeah. You know? Um and then whenever we give an examples in class, we cover the fundamentals and then we give a very current example of of, of an attack or something based on that or on the principles.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's really cool. Um yeah, it's funny because I I did a talk for BCS early January, BCS Hertfordshire. It was the exact same thing, working from home. Um, so yeah, it seems like the, seems like it's a hot topic. And with so at the university, the students are still working remotely, or are they back in the building?
1: Yeah. So well, we've got um, we've been remotely teaching since uh, March last year. Wow. Um, and it looks like this semester is is going to be the same thing as well. Um, so luckily, uh university provides uh, workstations if they need it, uh, so that they can work from home um and then um any form of you know so they just download an image of kelly linux or something and they're given a whole set of exercises to follow uh and yeah we we can still carry on we can still uh maintain the still the the same kind of experience so whenever they're having any challenges with uh kind of like uh what's going on and how to do something you know i can share the desktop or remote into theirs and and then fix something so the, the the experience is as best as we can do at, at this moment in time.
0: So so do you guys experience any kind of security risk? Have you seen any kind of attacks against university as far as that type of remote instruction or availability?
1: Yeah. Um because I'm not aware of of, of the attacks, you know, we have a security team for that. Um, you know, because I'm on the teaching side, I don't get to see it. Uh we've had we we have had uh some denial of service attacks uh, against um uh, kind of like the, the network which is used by universities um that was uh told i think that was uh, last year at some point um you know that there, there's a there's a guy on here who knows more than i do <laughs> uh chuck uh, cuz he was on the team at one point uh and yeah um so we we've been running a uh, without glitches uh, if if anything it was just teething problems with kind of like getting in people into a classroom a virtual classroom we uh because we we don't use zoom or teams we use uh kind of like a um uh, a package called blackboard mm-hmm. all the participants are are, are managed and you know, they belong to the university so you can they can't share a link with someone so we don't have any kind of like Uh, bombing, (laughs) you know, classroom bombing or anything like
0: that. Right. That's cool. Yeah, there there seems to be a lot of issues with uh, Zoom if you don't really lock it down um, with people bombing Zoom meetings and and Twitch and stuff like that. Um, So I'm going to ask all three of of you guys a question. So when you look at your most passionate piece of security that you want to go after and that you would focus your research time what would it be and why? Chi, go ahead.
1: Um, my one would be for mobile phones. You know, uh, mobile phones. Um, you know, because now it's used for out-of-band authentication and so on. Uh, you know, text messages, uh, and uh, even if people don't use a computer a lot, they'll be using a phone. <laughs> you Absolutely. know, and just reading about some of the. Uh, the ways in which memory is managed and which encryption keys are left around, you know, uh, after you first unlock as well, um, you know, the, how things persist in memory and, um, you know, and techniques on on how to uh, grab things like keys, mm-hmm. you know, which the developer didn't expect, but because of the, the way that the environment managed it, you know, left, left some ex- uh, vulnerabilities. You know? So I would look at, I will direct it towards phones.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Ryan?
3: I guess mine at the moment is probably, uh, IOT, Internet of Things. Um, it's kind of just the, 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 massive threat that it kind of presents, like, with like hard-coded firmware and all this hard-coded passwords and things like that. Um, that's kind of what's my focus at the moment, just because I don't know that much about it and just getting into what the, the possibilities are, the possibilities to, for defending that, the possibilities maybe even of using those things as an offensive thing in a defensive manner. So that's, uh,
0: which is exciting me, and Kristen, what's your passion right now as far as security goes?
2: Oh gosh, that's a hard one because I feel like every time I learn about something new, I think it's the coolest thing ever. So <laughs> that's been that's been my problem. Is it's hard for me to focus. I got really into reverse engineering through mostly capture the flag challenges. Mm-hmm. I suck at it, so I'm not any good. But I think it's really cool. Um, In learning how to do that, I think I discovered more foundational things that I needed to take a step back and focus on, just things like operating system architecture and stuff like that, that I didn't really get in my degree program. Um, Yeah, other than that, I think like the social engineering aspect of cybersecurity is fascinating to me. I didn't even really consider it as a part of security. And then when I started studying, I'm like, oh man, I I did a lot of stuff like that as a base jumper. So that physical side of penetration testing, that also is super interesting and really applicable to some of the stuff I already know.
0: Yeah, I I like to do like the lock picking and some of the physical stuff. Uh, Social engineering is is probably one of the most effective ways to infiltrate a network, no matter how hard that network is or who's guarding the door. Social engineering is usually the way in, uh, whether it be through email or you know direct contact or just you know be able to build a profile on that person um so yeah like social engineering is really important so if people are getting into cybersecurity and they're looking for the more offensive side like pen testing that's where i would start because you can be taught the technical stuff but the mindset and the psychology is a little different than the blue side um so yeah that's where i'm at as far as that
3: right try- so, go ahead so do you cover social engineering in your the, the, the degree pro, the degree program at Westminster?
1: Um, we, we don't. It's not in the curriculum, but I do dedicate some classes on uh, kind of like psychology and manipulation. And yeah, um, yeah. So, but we, we don't test on it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but but we, we, we do cover some aspects. And I do uh, kind of like share some videos mm-hmm. of how people can be manipulated into disclosing things like passwords uh, unwittingly. You know it could take place in a bar someone comes up comes up to you befriends you and, and they're willing to play a long game uh, and I uh, make people aware of that
0: yeah it's pretty funny because at the at the university when i went there to speak it was kind of getting towards like after hours and the security guards out at the front desk were kind of in their own little world and i just said hey i need in i forgot my badge and they just opened up the gates and i was like oh wow where would i go here <laughs> But that seems to be pretty prevalent with with any any business or organizations that, you know, the people you have guarding the door don't necessarily have have security in mind. They're fulfilling a the job and, and making a paycheck, and they're not used to people trying to infiltrate their business. You know, so I ran into that a lot doing pen testing. Um, but then we got into locks, electronic locks, and and other things, and that's become. Kind of like my my bad habit is when I'm sitting around I'm really bored I'll sit there and crack a lock, uh, so there's a lot of like there's tons of different avenues people can go when they when they go into uni. Um, where do you see most of your students heading as far as like offensive or defensive?
1: Um. Ooh. Uh, we, we've we got some members on here. <laughs> um, I, I think it's more towards the defensive and security analyst side. Uh, we do have pen testers, uh, but they seem to be in the minority. Uh, the most of them are to do with uh, setting policies, kind of like um, uh, blue team uh, kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, penetration testers, there, there have been a few. Uh, and then some of them are like re- really good at it. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Ryan. Is there are there any programs in place in the
3: UK that are for people coming out of university to get into the industry? Are there, are there any? Does the government provide any programs, or are there any private sector programs that you know of?
1: Um, so I I haven't been involved in uh, any of those initiatives. Um, I um, uh, some well uh, from from the community that I built in in our university uh, when some of the former students come back they actually come with job openings (laughs) Uh, and and so I always tell the students yeah some of these people are going to come back uh, with with, um, vacancies uh, prepare your CVs uh, get to know them uh, because they've come through our system they know what we teach Uh, they know how we teach it Uh, they know what skill set they're going to have Uh, and and they can help bridge the gap uh, much easier. So uh, that, that's one of the reasons why I created the community so that we don't depend on an external organization that we can do it all in house. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I, I know Kristen has done her homework on, on this episode. So Kristen, why don't you unload with your
2: questions? I know you have a ton. Oh gosh. Um, so teaching is obviously a huge part of your life as an educator. I was hoping you could share some stories about some of your most inspirational students.
1: Wow um okay I, I won't give any names uh for for privacy uh reasons <laughs> um yeah we we had one guy who was kind of like a bit more of a uh, mature um uh, student uh he he came through and you know he because you know he wanted to make a better life for himself um uh, and so he studied really hard, got really good grades, and then he decided to go for the cybersecurity challenge, uh, the U- uh, UK one. And he asked, "What? What do? I, what does he need to prepare?" And I thought, "Right, okay." So, and I knew it was serious, and I knew that he had the ability. So I gave him a whole load of extra homework uh, to do. Uh, and uh, he he continued through. Uh, he got through a number of rounds, and and he actually was in the winning team uh, from awesome. there. Uh, and then he had some job offers, uh, and this was probably the only time I, I, I gave advice, uh, where you know I, I asked him to, you know, do this. Right. Yeah. Um, so he had a job offer. It was it was a re- it was a good job offer uh, for uh, a new graduate, uh, and there was this kind of uh, graduate scheme which was unpaid <laughs> <laughs> uh, at a large firm, and then he said, "Gee, you know, this company's." You know, offering—I uh, think it was about thirty-six thousand pounds or something—which uh, is good for a graduate—and uh, then you know, this is a graduate program, uh, and it's six months, and there's no none paid. And I said, "Graduate program." He <laughs> said, "You sure?" Graduate program, right? So, yeah. so, but he he took the advice and uh, he he went on it, and then later. You know, they they kind of like extended the, the graduate program slightly like from six months. They said, gee, they're, they're about to extend it. You know, I'm not going to be paid any stuff like that. They said, well, if they wanted to get rid of you, they would have.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Just uh, stick with it. And he carried on. And then within two months, they, they gave him a full contract. And then he became a international security consultant. Yes. Then they sent him off to do his master's degree. Um, and then he went to work for really large investment banks, uh, pen testing. They paid for all of his courses uh and, and that was really uh uh inspirational uh there was one other student um that i taught a number of years ago uh you know i first started teaching programming and then um uh, computer science uh and then uh he went he went into cybersecurity, and then i think it was about two years ago he was cyber uk cyber security consultant of the year
3: wow nice. <laughs> and, and
1: now he's now he's got a, a mbe uh or you know uh, so he just recently got that, so um, you know works in a defense company and yeah so so these are really inspirational uh students uh, you know we 've got uh you know some other students as well um, one of them who uh, <laughs> we won 't name uh, le- left the military uh, and then pursued um, uh, a degree uh, very different environment uh you know in um, you know in the military everything 's very Strict and so on, nope. and then more in an unstructured environment. Uh, that was a, a challenge, and and then yeah, now he's uh, working for a really great organization uh, in security as well. So yeah, as you know, there's a number of um, you know people on this call today uh, who who have done great things.
0: So the UK challenge you're you're referring to the Matrix challenge, right? Uh,
1: it, it's the cybersecurity challenge. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's called it. It was it's previously run by GCHQ. <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah, I think the um,
1: so uh, we've we've done pretty well in that. We've we've had one uh, one person on a winning team and one mm-hmm. on a, a runner up. Well. That's
0: that's really cool. So that's a big that's a big challenge. That's all of the UK um, GCHQ does it as well as the London Police have their own called the Matrix Challenge. I don't know if everybody knows about that, but it's also another national competition um, CTF CTF style. Uh, their award ceremony I think is next month. Um, yeah. So, Kristen, what else you got?
2: Uh, is there? Do you have a particular subject you enjoy teaching, or like, what do you like? What do you really like to nerd out on? Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> um, no. There's there's different phases. So there, there was one phase where I, you know, really love things like um, network based attacks. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then it went towards application based. And then now it's like kind of like file systems, you know, kind of like hiding things in there. Um, uh, But then whenever I I, I teach, I always want to know, how does it work? Because the problem (laughs) uh, is always in, you know, the fundamentals. You you find out how something works and then uh, it's used in a way that the designer didn't expect. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how these (laughs) vulnerabilities, because someone creates a, a... you know a piece of software or, or some kind of function and they invent. they just think of functionality and then somebody else looks at it with a bit of curiosity and goes, i wonder what happens if i do this and then they create something so so it's just uh looking into that but what i like about it um security is just um how creative it is yeah that's absolutely it's very true. um highly creative skill we take the narrative out of it good bad and stuff like that, and we just look at it what it is it is it's an art form uh and so when i whenever i teach my students uh, i always tell them this isn't a subject that you're studying you know okay. this isn't part of the conveyor belt you study a subject you get a job and stuff like that. no this is an, an, an art right. that you're going to immerse yourself in and if you go all in you're going to get results
0: yeah, absolutely. I, I can't agree more. I always tell people that it's more than just a technical ability. It's, a, it's a, the ability to orchestrate and to envision and, and be creative. If you can't be creative, especially on the, the red team, if you can't be creative on the offensive side, you're going to fall very short. Um, so we have to find ways on the fly to like keep painting that picture and, and manipulating the the scenery um, to get where we want to go. I, I totally, I totally dig that comment. Um so as far as, uh, you know, your path, where, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? Are you still going to be teaching or are you going to be doing your own research or what?
1: Um, I I have kind of like um, been getting into things like uh, blockchain technology, decentralized uh, finance uh, at the moment. So that's where my attention is. I'm looking into it and, and then you know, watching it develop uh, and, you know, it's lots of exciting things going on uh, in, in that side. So uh, for me, it's I, I, you know, it's not so much, oh, five years, I want to do this. Uh, Ten years, I want to do that. Right. Um, it's, you know, what what feels true at that moment in time to, to give my uh, attention to. You know? Absolutely. Um, so over the last few years, it's been developing the uh, community at the university. Uh, and then now it's, yeah, who knows what's going to happen. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's a it's a big world, especially with the with the ever changing like threatscape of of you know working from home and the lockdowns and you know all the nation state attacks, you know, there's gonna be more and more of a demand for for people like us. Um, so it's hard to predict where that's gonna go. Um, so as far as you know the UK goes, so I spent some time over there for a couple of years. Um, got to experience, you know, life over there and, and how things are ran. And then I come back to the wild wild west where things are a little bit different. Um, one thing I respected about the UK is that their, their thoughts on cybercrime. Um, you know, a lot of people know that a lot of us come from different backgrounds, but over there, they like to give people a second chance. Uh, and actually, um, the intervention workshop that I did the very first one, they approached me about, um, addressing some universities to see if they would get involved in like donating equipment or whatever, because they have, they do a miniature CTF for the kids who are like in trouble. Um, And it's a good way to gauge their experience and their knowledge and kind of match them up with employers or prospective, you know, places where they can go train. Um, So are there any programs at Westminster right now that that can help, help those kids or, or, you know, send some kind of focus and, and help that out?
1: Um, we don't have any dedicated programs as such, but because i i've i taken on a very uh hands on uh approach to uh teaching I really get to know the students uh, what they 're about uh, and uh because i you know kind of like uh done uh, a bit of work in personality typing uh, i can um, help them direct their attention to something which is more functional for them you know uh I remember uh, there was uh, uh, there was one guy. Uh, he he had a you know very very good uh, sense of you know networking knowledge and scripting and so on. Uh, and I remember this this guy because he you know in the first lesson he actually tested me. <laughs> uh, he said, "Sir, I, I saw some script and I want you to tell me what it's about." So and then he started writing on a board. I was like, "Okay, all right, so we'll go with it." You know, and I'll, I'll entertain mm-hmm. this. And then I am like, oh, okay, so it's a nice redirection attack. Blah, blah, blah. And and then, you know, after that, you know, uh, kind of got to know him. And I was like, yeah, normal person wouldn't have this kind of knowledge. And then I later found out that he, he, he ran a botnet. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Uh, uh, I'm like, yeah, it looks like that kind of thing that you're dropping. I'm like, okay, probably best that you don't do that. So I did give him some things. I was like, you know, with your skills, you can actually go into this and this and that. Yeah. um so, so we give guidance, um, you know, I, I I give guidance to the students uh, if I feel that they're going to be, um, you know, if, the, if they're in a the sense of fret or something like that, I say, hey, you know, right. you can like, direct this somewhere. And, and I give them kind of like exercises that they can use to to help them deal with, you know, whatever they're going through. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, sometimes when, you know, we, we, we all go through emotional rides mm-hmm. and, and then if they get swept up in it we, you know who knows where it's going to end up for them you know um so for, for me that I, I i do the intervention you know if i feel that you know so that's why i um kind of more than just a, a teacher or a lecturer i'm just like yeah if you've got any issues just come see me you know? yeah and some students have
0: you know? yeah i always respect you for that because i i knew some of the students and and they told me how personal you were and, and how you really took a, a huge passion into what you do. And there's not a lot of teachers who do that. There's a lot of teachers who go out there and teach cybersecurity and, and they're doing it for a paycheck uh, or they're doing it because of their stature and within the community. Um, but what I find refreshing is like, I've met a couple of uh, teachers or lecturers in the UK that did it just because they had a passion for it, a passion for sharing that knowledge. And that's kind of what we're about too. Like, so we saw this community just to share knowledge um, freedom of information, you know, let me teach you how to do certain things and, uh, kind of help you decide where you want to go. So I think that's really important to give students like that creativity, give them that open space to, to create on their own, as well as some guidelines to, to get past the class. Um, yeah. so if you were to take an offensive stance in a network, what would be your favorite place to hit and your most experienced and why? <laughs>
1: Um hmm. you know the the weakest place is always at a point of interaction with a human <laughs> uh i i would I would go towards that side uh, I know that the the kind of like the the darker side of my personality would would go towards
0: there. <laughs> we we all have that we all have that um some of us just lead into that darker personality more than others i think um So I'm going to open it up to questions for Chi. We have uh, one right now for Chi. It says, uh, can you please ask Mr. Young to suggest us some scientific journals for cybersecurity, especially in this field? So is there anything that you read on a routine basis that maybe other people could benefit from doing like a daily or weekly read on it? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Um, So, you know, for for me... um... You know, admittedly, I haven't been reading that many academic journals. <laughs> uh, what, what I do like to follow up, uh, read upon. Um, so for me, uh, you know, things like going to uh, DEFCON meets. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I, I, I watch the, the videos uh, that are from the main conferences, CanSec uh, West, um, Black Hat and so on. Uh, and it, because there is so much, you know, so like you can go either low level towards the, the hardware side and low-level programming, mm-hmm. or you can go towards you know, kind of like infrastructure and cloud and stuff. So it's, um, you know, I, I personally don't read that many academic journals. Mm. Uh, I, I, you know, look at what you know, people are creating with actual products, you know, that are around.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Um, there's another one, uh, and Ryan asks this, benefit of university education over the certification route
1: um that i think that the, the different outcomes you know uh, from a university one uh it's a structure where uh you, you, you you're given more of a choice uh, and you've got time to decide which direction you want to go um you know so so if someone is like undecided but They they think that they want a career in cybersecurity, right? Okay, so from here we'll we'll develop your networking skills and and so on. Uh, If you want to go towards network engineering, you can you can go that route or security. Uh, And we we have students that change their mind after the first year. They say, yeah, actually, I want to go towards this and this. Uh, Whilst if you go for a certification, it is is yes, it is very specialised, but. Uh, is that what they really want? You know, because um, somebody, you know, quite a lot of the students have been through a number of years of the education system, uh, and they don't know anything else other than other than that. So, so then there's a chance to actually get exposure, gain an orientation, and, and decide what they uh, want to do after. Um, so, yeah, um, it, it's it's not one or necessarily one or the other. They they both have their the their benefits. Um, you know, the people going towards. Uh, specialization and certification they may not be developing skills like programming application development Mm. uh, and so on Um, uh, and um, yeah it's just a a different experience you know when you do certification you're not going to do things like group work work on projects Um, so yeah
0: I think it has a lot to do with, uh, I mean, it's all education, right? So if, if you do the research on your own and, you know, go for different certifications, you're still getting some sort of education. Mm -hmm. Um, I think university helps with kind of guiding people who don't really know which direction they want to go, but they know they want to do cybersecurity and it helps them get launched into, into that career. For me, I, I didn't have any formal training on cybersecurity. I just kind of like researched on my own and, and challenged different tests and stuff. Um, but what I find is when you do that, sometimes you put yourself in a disadvantage because you don't have that piece of paper that says, yes, I stuck with something for six years. Um, and that's the only, that's, that's a disadvantage that I faced, but with my background, it was more of here, you know, I understand you're looking for a bachelor's degree, but let me show what I can do. And so I had to try a little bit harder to get people to step back and, and let me show them what I can do instead of showing them on paper. Um, so that, that, was a, that was a challenge at the very beginning. I think everybody getting into the field, whether they're school taught or certifications, I think have a tough time when it gets to launching. Um, just because there's so many different types of companies, there's so many different uh, operations. I mean, it, there's just so much out there because cybersecurity's has gotten so big. And I think it's overwhelming to a lot of people as to, you know, which company should I pick or, or what operation do I, do I want to focus on? Um, and I think with the uni that that really helps with, with that, that function or, or that step in the progress. So what else do we have? Anybody else have any questions for Mr. Chi? Kristen, you have any more?
2: Yeah, I wanna know what is your favorite protocol
1: and why? Um, that's my favorite one. Um, you know, the, when, when I designed the, the, the course uh, at, at university, um you know i decided on the content and at the time it was lots to do with redirection attacks at the network level you know uh uh, dns uh arp all all of those and spoofing and yeah so so those are the ones that uh i i really like doing because you know when, when i come to teaching it it's actually pretty fun as well you know things like um so so those um when I teach things like DNS redirection and so, I, I start up with a practical example. You know, uh, so instead of diving in straight into the protocols and digits and so on, I just say, yeah, you know, what if someone came up to you know, got your phone and then changed one of the phone numbers, <laughs> not changing the name, but changing one of the phone numbers? So you know, what's the impact on you? Uh, and so I set scenarios like that. I get them thinking. I say, yeah, you know, people can do that on your, you know, using a, a protocol and doing it remotely, and then you know, it gets their attention. And and so it's. For me it's getting the attention to get them curious about something that they can relate an attack to something that could happen to them in real life you know uh just ask them you know, you know what if someone was to redirect your mail and you know, what's the impact on you and then say but you know it's actually easier to do it on a computer <laughs> <laughs> uh and then yeah just how you know a packet or two can actually redirect with your traffic uh just, just so simple um and, and that's the beauty of it. It's just very simple and it has an effect. <laughs>
0: yeah. So there's another question from uh Fee. She says, Can you suggest suggest any researchers' papers exploring the intersection of infotech, cybersecurity, and human psychology and or evolution?
1: Wow. Okay. So that's a number of disciplines all intertwined. <laughs> um yeah, I, I I don't know of any. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that sounds like something that would go for, you know, for PhD thesis.
0: Yeah, there is, there is one book that, that you can get called the cyber effect. So the cyber effect is a book written by, I want to say a psychologist and it covers the psychology of the internet, right? So it looks at, um, different, uh, criminals on this, on the internet and how they were affected by technology and, and how it bends kind of their thinking or whatever but it's called the cyber effect and I can't remember the author uh, but it's actually pretty good um, yeah. so there's, um
1: a- there's one book I read before quite a while back it was like more for the kind of like um security engineer and it's like um yeah inside the security mind or something like that yeah um so that you know that was about the mindset of um right. someone who's going to be in charge of security right yeah
0: um, another one, there's a comment here. Uh, former chief student just wanted to say that his teaching style and everything that he taught was the best I experienced due to his teaching. I managed to land a role in December of 2020 during the peak of unemployment rates in the UK. So that's, that's a pretty big pat on the back. <laughs> but yeah. I think all of your, I think all of your students have sort of the same, the, the same feeling. I haven't met a student of yours yet that, that wasn't really impressed with their teaching style.
1: Oh. Um. Yeah. No, it's, um, you know, they, they, they're giving, you know, part of their life to, to learning something and, you know, whatever way I can, you know, support them in their journey, you know, I'll do. Absolutely. You
3: know. So, so what is it about your teaching style that causes such affection? Like, is it the personal interaction? Is it the, your, your depth of knowledge? Like where, where does this, uh, where, where, where does this come from?
1: Yeah. So, you know, when when i first started teaching I, I i wouldn't say you know i was like very traditional you know i just told them how something works uh and and then uh it's very prescriptive uh, and then as I, I as i developed uh you know as a teacher because I, I didn't come from a you know I, I was working for a number of years before i went to um uh, teaching i didn't like kind of like studying get my master's degree and then get going to teaching that, that you know i was working and then i was like right okay um it, it's a you know, it can be a very um, uh, kind of like non-fulfilling, un- unfulfilling experience, uh, kind of like learning and, and, you know, without curiosity. So I, I was like, right, how can I create an environment where learning happens, where the curio- curiosity happens? And so the first part is, you know, not to make it shameful or, or or you know, make someone feel inadequate if they get it wrong. So So the first part is like, make it okay, to explore something right? Uh, uh, without feeling self-conscious about getting something incorrect, right? Um, and so it's creating that kind of environment where I don't say what's right and wrong. I was like, okay, so you, you propose this, let's explore it and let's explore it. And so through a process of exploration, understanding happens and learning happens. So I, I don't necessarily tell them that this is the way. <laughs> I'm like, okay, what if we did it this way? And then sometimes on purpose, I would actually put an incorrect answer and go with an incorrect answer and say, why didn't you guys stop me? <laughs> right? And they're like, yeah, but we wanted to, but you have to challenge. I said, no, you have to challenge this.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
1: uh, and, and so it's creating an environment whereby I'm not some kind of superior person. that I'm just like, yeah, I, I'm, I know learning can be tough. It can be uncomfortable, but, you know, it's just... Holding them there uh, through it, that it's going to be okay, that they develop through it, uh, and so on. Yeah. So that cu- curiosity—it's not so much about getting something right or wrong; it's just right. Let's go on a journey.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly.
1: <laughs> that curiosity that you're talking about, Ken, do you think that can be
3: uh, created, or is it something someone's born with? Like I know that curiosity. Everyone in this in this podcast right now has that curiosity. They're here. Is that something that can be?
1: Uh, can, do you need to be born with that, or can that be learned? Um. You know, we 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 we're all born with an innate sense of curiosity and wonder and awe and so on. Uh, but then it gets, you know, the way that the, the school system works, it, it kind of like doesn't encourage it, doesn't allow it to really really develop. So it's just trying to get that back again. Um, and for for me, you know, um, I, I went on kind of like about six years ago. I, I I just started exploring. You know, what am I about? You know. Uh, what, what is what, what is learning what is education right? and so I went on a little journey of exploration, did some uh, training courses, some coaching, and so on and, and then it completely opened my mind uh to uh you know a different expression uh, and that's how it changed and so as I became more curious about myself and like how do I create an environment where people people learn then then I started learning as well. <laughs> i you know, exactly. started um finding out what was effective what worked what didn't work Yeah, you know. i find uh, it really and then, s- you know me acknowledging that i'm with um you know another uh, another human being <laughs> you know it's not so much like a ah, teacher student kind of thing no these are other human beings they made a commitment to something and just because i'm you know maybe slightly ahead of the road doesn't make me any better than them or any worse and you know some of these uh, students have done many things that i haven't done before so it's just acknowledging that that we all have gifts and talents uh, and then uh, you know, going along with that so what's sorry, the sorry, go ahead
0: go ahead right go ahead
1: So, us if you were going to do a phd what would it be on <laughs> um what would it be on
3: what excites you enough to, to put that that investment it, into
1: it will probably cl- uh, be you know, closer to the AI side, AI and security. Um, you know, security agents. You know, autonomous ones. Um, you know, some maybe somewhere around there. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, so what is the most challenging portion of your course to teach? What's the hardest you think is to? Which topic is hardest to get through to the students and and why?
1: Um, It'll probably be things towards the application side um with, with things like networking and, and so on you, you can kind of give give examples of things that happen in real life but as soon as you get down to system level and you're dealing with bits and bytes and registers uh and you know things like buffer overflow attacks and uh, so that you know can well you know can i think of a real life example where where they would have experienced this and and so where there isn't a, a bridge to some experience of theirs, th- that makes it a little bit more challenging. Um, you know, so we can't cover things like um, buff overflows without covering data structures and how it's managed in memory and then you know, how, how things are spaced and how you know, kind of stack and heap. And you know, so that, that it, once you get the kind of the background mm-hmm. then we can start layering on top. So it's, it's covering something in layers and sometimes setting the foundation is the thing that takes the longest. Right, uh, but once they've got a good foundation, um, the, then it becomes very straightforward.
0: So, what about what about shell code? Do you guys teach shell code uh, at the uni? Um,
1: yeah, so um, we we do some development, um, you know, kind of like um, uh, bash scripts and, and so on uh, in the second year, um, you know, for operating systems, uh, you know, things like memory management and mm-hmm. so on, but not from a security perspective. It's just like how does it work, right. and then in my subject we'll touch upon you know, use it. go a bit further and it's like, how, how does that work in this uh, buffer overflow?
0: Right. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, any more questions for Chi? Kristen, do you have anything else?
2: Um, gosh. So like burnout and mental health is a really big deal in our industry. And I guess I'm wondering, have you experienced that yourself? And how do you deal with it? Or what tips do you have for someone entering the field?
1: Yeah. It's a it, knot it's that you immerse yourself in. And then at some parts, it's actually a very... Uh, well, as I was learning, it, it could be a very lonely journey. Init- mm. You know, without we, um, uh, support around you. And it could get to the point of almost like uh, <laughs> obsessive. Mm. Yeah, um, I, I would, you know, when I was like learning all of this, you know, staying up to three, four in the morning, was normal <laughs> um you know kind of like not engaging with you know friends and stuff like that 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 you know because i was so immersed in it was you know it had, had an effect on, on others as well you know um and, and so it's really important to um have an interest uh that you can engage in as something which is totally separate from um uh kind of like you know, taking responsibilities in something other than, you know, um, security. Um, so for me, I have a martial arts community as well, Kung Fu. Cool. Uh, nice. You know, I did something completely outrageous, things like dance or art or something like that. And, and you know, all of those, because we, we have to develop on a number of different aspects of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Just by going in one direction, it, it will have a negative effect in the long run. Yeah. yeah um so it gives you a bit of perspective but i i i remember for for years i would just immerse myself and that was the time when i actually learned the most but it had a negative effect on other aspects of you know my life and, and others as well
0: i think that's the hard part is when you have a passion that's so deep for something uh, that is so wide um, it, it's really difficult to, to refrain from diving in headfirst. And I think that what's that, that's what attributed to like insomnia and, and people stressing out. Like I always, I always say, you know, I, I can't do all this by myself, but it's me who takes it on. Um, I'm the one up until two, two, three in the morning trying to get shell code, right. Or, you know, just diving off into another topic and rabbit holing for four or five hours, uh. But, you know, in the same token, it's all about balance, right? So it's okay to do that if you bounce it out with something else. Um, and I'm just now, even after 20 years, I'm just now learning that balance is important. Um, so, you balance know, I is
2: really hard, I feel like.
0: <laughs> yeah, super, hard, super oh, okay. hard. So I try to take one day out of the week where I don't work on the podcast, where I don't mess with exploits and record videos and, and just try to take a break and take a breath. Uh, and even then it's hard. I'll still be sitting on the couch and i hit a th- have a thought hit me in the head and I'm like, oh shit, I wonder if that works. And I spend four or five hours trying to get to work. Um, so yeah, like it, I mean, there's there's people who have a passion for it, and there's people who know that it's a it's a good career field to get into and they become professionals and and you know, they they do the nine to five, but don't have that extra oomph. Um, and that's easy to pick up in an interview as well. So you know, be honest with yourself about uh, your passion for the tradecraft and, and for the art, um, you know, because there's different routes that you can go. If, if if your passion isn't like busting code or, you know, getting knee deep and, and just diving into stuff, there's other avenues you can go. Don't, don't put yourself in a position where you're over your head um, because you were able to grab a job and they were just looking to fill a seat. Um, really interview the company that you're going for and the position. And if it's something too technical, don't try to bite it off because if it's too technical, you're going to be stressed out. Um, do something within your means with the opportunity to move up and, and the opportunity to, to learn something else. Um, but be honest with yourself, with your capabilities. I think that's the most, one of the most important things that I've told other people is look at the job. Can you do it? Can you do it today? Um, if not, you may want to look at a different avenue. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what got me is that, you know, I I always went for the jobs I knew that I could, I could conquer and I would get in there and I would try to poke and prod it, you know, where else I could go within the company and learn more. Um, so each job was a progression for me. Uh, let's see. But Tima says, uh, Mr. Chi, tell us how many steps does cybersecurity has to learn from the beginning? And what are those steps? ooh so that's like jacob's ladder to the stars like I, I don't even know how to even answer
1: that myself how many steps yeah how high can you count <laughs> <laughs> um that, that there is no ceiling <laughs> because there um you know there's a lot of creativity in products right people creating software uh, platforms uh, architectures and so on. that that's never ending and so in cybersecurity You're just gonna have to be aware that you're never gonna be able to cover all your bases. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, If you're defending a network, uh, there are so many places that you have to look out for. While if you think that an attacker, attacker is gonna focus a lot of energy into one thing, and you have lots of these little groups that are looking into tiny little things, Mm. and they are um, the amount of uh, immersion that they're gonna have. Is, is going to be greater than your one over your entire network <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's um yeah, it, you know you there there is no peak <laughs> no. yeah That's- it's always going to move uh, as long as there's innovation um there's always um it's always going to keep moving uh but most important is that um whilst the technology changes a lot of the fundamental uh, uh principles the main structures of attacks they just you know, imposed on new technology. You know, the things like intercepting messages, that that's, you know, encryption. I, I make it known in class that it's just the, you know, evolution of intercepting someone's smoke signals back in the days and yes, yes. The, 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 the horse rider. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an evolution of of, of, of that, you know. How, how can you stop it? Well, you know, you uh, it, it's right. how do you make it so that if they are able to intercept something that they can't make any sense of it?
0: Yeah, I think that goes back all the way to like seizure shift during ancient Rome, you know, and and the encryption methods used back then. Encryption and and, obfuscation has been around since the beginning of time. Indians used to use like smoke signals to communicate and, you know, had the wind talkers uh, that were Native Americans speaking their own language during, you know, the different wars. So they've always used some sort of not cybersecurity, but the same principles and, and methodology. But I think really the worst thing the industry ever did as far as creating titles was calling somebody an SME, a subject matter expert, because I, I would refuse to take a job where they called me an expert because I'm learning things every day. I feel like a kid in a candy store. Every time I pick up a new tool and I'm like, Oh, well, I can do this now. So I don't think anybody ever becomes a true expert in knowledge in everything. Um, I think it's always a a moving journey. It's a moving target. So especially with all the technology coming out, yeah, you may be an expert today, but tomorrow when that new technology comes out, you start back at at ground zero. Um, So, you know, a lot of people think that they want to go from point A to point B, but what they don't understand is like between point A and point B is like A1 through 100. And there's so many steps and, and so many pieces to it that it may take you a while to get from point A to B. I've actually had people ask me, so can you teach me what you know? And I'm like, well, do you have 20 years? <laughs> because if so, we can go, but you know, it's not something you can just data dump and, and give away in like a day. Um, and I can't only really imagine like the amount of of stuff that, that you've learned over the years for, for teaching. Like, I mean, you have to be able to teach pretty much every subject. Uh, I have a lot of respect for that because there's no way I could do it. People ask me to like write a course and I'm like, uh, where do I start? Like, I'm so confused. Um, So uh, someone asked, what about its start point? So the start point is the idea in your head that you want to be in cybersecurity. That's the starting point. Um, Getting to know what cybersecurity is and knowing different facets of it, offense, defense, management, and then deciding where you want to go. Um, But as far as hacking goes, I would say that people that, usually fall into the red team, have some sort of character trait or some sort of, I don't know, reasoning or logic that, that some people don't have. Like we look at things from a different perspective and I think that that is kind of required in red teaming or, or hacking is you have to have that semi-malicious streak to be able to look at something and go, I'm going to smash that. Um, <coughs> so it, 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 it takes certain people to do certain jobs. Um, and it doesn't mean you can't be trained for it, but look where your aptitude lies. You know, look how you look at puzzles and, and projects and go from there. Um, do we have any more questions for Chi? Does the university have direct connections with some organizations to help place students in roles?
1: Um, so when we first started uh, teaching courses, uh, we, we did have to... Uh, have the students go and apply um, you know th- there are uh, companies which um, you know hold hold fairs at the university for um, placements mm. and internships um, so th- this is one of the reasons why um, I, I set up the community at the university um, is that you know it, it takes several years to to, to build up because as people start getting into more senior positions, then they're, they're in a position to actually take on interns or something like that. Uh, and this is still something that's uh, uh, building up now. Um, yeah, very cool. Uh, so you know, it, even our students, um, quite a few of them have come back to be uh, mentors uh, to some of our current students, uh, and uh, some of them uh, do lead to employment. You know, uh, at, at the end of it. Um, so it, it's all a structure. Uh, it's still growing uh and uh it's working for quite a uh, lot of our students
0: that's awesome well so chi we appreciate your time i know it's uh, getting late over there in the uk uh but you're welcome anytime in a haunted house whenever you want doors open uh, so with that i'm gonna let you go you can stay online with us if you want i'm gonna do a quick video demo of a tool called fake image exploiter um, really simple tools, kind of like almost script kit-ish, but it gives people an idea of how to hide PowerShell and stuff in, in images and other documents and, and whatnot. Um, so, give me a second to get that set up. And uh, Kristen, if you have any more questions for Chi while I get that set up, go ahead.
2: I think I got them all. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: No, oh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me. Oh, nice yeah. to meet you. Okay, thank you all. have a great evening, everyone. All
0: right. All right, I'm gonna stop sharing my computer sound and share screen. Maybe, all right, here we go. All right, can everybody see my screen? Good. Good, all right. So this tool is called Fake Image Exploiter. And so basically I already have the PowerShell script. Um, You can use the PowerShell script or you can use like an interpreter payload or whatever you want. Uh, But I like PowerShell, especially when it comes in Windows. Um, And then basically all you have to have is a JPEG and an icon image. So I took the same JPEG and created an icon image uh, to put into the package to deliver to the target and I'll talk you through it here really quick. So there, I'm getting the uh, the, yeah, the image, and then in, importing it into the tool. And I have my own icon, so I'm grabbing that icon, the ICO image, <laughs> putting that in. It already has a payload selected. Um, creating the name of the the package that I want to send over cats. Um, So it's building it right now. Uh, And it also uses wine to uh, operate. So make sure you have wine compiled on your Linux box, looking at the backdoor agent and icons, creating a zip or tar.gz, whatever you want to do. And then this is the host I'll be listening from, which already has my IP. It already sees it and the port. I just use a standard Metasploit port 4444. And I chose a shell because the payload.ps1 is a a PowerShell script. So now it's setting up the handler, the listener. And I used a uh, Windows virtual image, uh, default image. So I have that kit on the web server. So I'm going to go to that web server, refresh a couple times and download it. And you can see what Windows does. So refresh. This is the box I run all my exploits from, VirtualBox. So there's a cat.zip. I'm going to save it, save it to the desktop. All right, now we're gonna go open that and check out the cute pictures of kittens. There it is. So cats.jpg, no big deal, right? And there's a cute little furry kitten and you've just been rooted. So that gives you PowerShell um, access to that, that box. Uh, And with PowerShell, you can do a number of things, Um, you know, schedule all kinds of, uh, you know, jobs and whatnot. Um, It's really it's really effective. I've always liked PowerShell. A lot of my um, exploits I run with PowerShell, uh, some because it's so dynamic. And in most cases, it's very hard to uh, not to, to really detect, but to stop. Um, because once I get into that, that job or I start creating you know, other processes, then things get bad for that user and it's really hard to get me out. So I look at that as kind of a way to pivot um, and maintain persistence. So the most two important things in hacking is um, persistence and be able to pivot from one box to another. Um, so that's it. Uh, unless we have any more questions for me or for Kristen or anybody else, I'm going to shut this down. Um, excuse the stupid question, but is that mimicking SSH? No, it's not mimicking SSH. It's mimicking. It's not really mimicking anything. It's actually giving, it goes out to the web server, grabs the the payload.psi or PS1, which is PowerShell script, um, downloads, it, it, executes it in memory and, gives me a reverse shell because I've already coded that that payload to call back to that IP address like we saw in the video. Um, so really, it's giving me a PowerShell access on that local system remotely. Uh, but you can run it over SSH. Um, you can run it over port 443. I mean, th- there's a number of ways you can do it. I, I did it through 444 simply because of the fact I was trying to get it done and have it ready for you guys. But you can do it on any port you want. Um, so, how should we stop this cat? Um, by a dog. No, I'm kidding. Um, not really sure. The only way to really stop it is to make sure your antivirus is up to date. Um, make sure that, that attachments, zips or tar.gz are very hard to get into the network and look for PowerShell going out on any port. So, PowerShell like, should not be leaving that system unless it's to an admin. Uh, But what I found is a lot of companies don't actually monitor where those reverse shells go. Um, I was actually able to sneak uh, a PowerShell out through port 80 at a very large oil and gas company and was not stopped. Um, So, yeah, some some things are very hard to detect. And and like she said in, in his interview is the fact that with attackers, we only have to be right one time and with one avenue. And with that, I mean, it can get really bad. But defenders have to be on their feet 24-7 and with the entire network, uh, which is very difficult.
2: So with that, I'm going to sign off, and I will see you guys next Saturday.